Hello, I'm John J. Thompson, and it seems you have fallen way down the True Tunes rabbit hole. Maybe you've come to the podcast recently and are just working your way back to our first few shows, or who knows, maybe someone sent you a direct link to one of these early outings. All I can say is welcome, thanks for stopping by, Bruce and I are glad you're here, but have some mercy on us please. I'll be honest, when Bruce and I went back and listened to these early episodes, well, let's just say it clearly took us a handful of shows for us to get our feet under us. We knew what we wanted to do, but the way to get there took some tweaking. But the interviews are still valuable, and it's probably worthwhile to have these available as documents of our evolution, so we've trimmed them up a bit, tried to keep them timely, and inserted these little disclaimer introductions to each one. You might still hear a few dated references, some wonky edits, and some rough fades, so have some mercy on us as you dig these earliest episodes out of cold storage and enjoy. Thanks for listening. Oh, and if somehow this is your first exposure to our show, please check out any of our more recent episodes for a more accurate representation. Okay, Bruce, roll it. I'm so tired of people saying, well, justice will take place when Jesus comes back, or we can enjoy that thing when we're in heaven, or we can truly rest when we're in heaven. And I'm like, I'm so exhausted. It's not even the gospel. Jesus healing people, Jesus engaging with people, he was showing that the kingdom is now and greater things than these you will do in my name. Hello, I'm John J. Thompson. And on this episode of the True Tunes podcast, we have an extended conversation with singer, songwriter, and worship pastor, Liz Weiss. As you should be able to tell from the weekly Spotify mixtape, I'm an enormous fan. In fact, I believe Liz is one of the most important voices making music today. It's amazing to think that if not for an unusual set of circumstances, we may have never had her voice in our lives. When her debut album, a project originally conceived as something simply to be given away through her church, officially dropped in 2015. The accolades poured in from some highly unlikely places. Sources as diverse as No Depression, NPR Music, Bluegrass Situation, NBC, American Songwriter Magazine, BlackGospel.com, and Christianity Today have all raved about her sincere and inviting vocal style and graceful yet authoritative presence. In addition to her own two albums and several singles, Vice has appeared as a featured guest vocalist on dozens of worship, rock, soul, and hip-hop projects. We'll talk more about those on the jukebox a bit later. Her latest single, See the Day, was co-written by Leslie Jordan of All Sons and Daughters and Jonathan Jay of House Fires last fall. But Vice felt compelled to release it earlier this year, before the coronavirus pandemic brought everything but racial injustice to a standstill. Now the song rings like a serendipitous anthem, a congregational lament that could not possibly be more timely. I wanna see the day when justice rolls Like a mighty river floods out of control Liz and I tried to find a time to talk in person last year when her tour came through Nashville, but it just wasn't possible. We were also trying to see if there was a way for her to visit with the students at Treveca, as her unique experience as a woman writing songs, leading worship, and making ends meet as an independent artist are exactly the kinds of things they need to be hearing about. 
Alas, the last several months have seen us all locked down, so, much like the situation with producer Ian Fitchuk, we decided to take advantage of the pandemic-enforced downtime and record the conversation remotely. When Liz and I got online to capture this interview, however, her internet connection would not cooperate. We got disconnected eight or nine times. It was starting to feel like Satan was playing whack-a-mole with us. Instead of one long, contiguous conversation, we ended up with lots of segments. So, this show will be produced a bit differently than some others, but I think the value of what Liz has to say is worth the extra effort. And I thank Bruce for helping us smooth out the rough spots. We're also going to do something a bit different with the jukebox this time. Instead of looking at a couple of different albums, we'll check out Liz's solo music and some highlights of her collaborations with others. So, with no further ado, let's welcome the fantastic Liz Weiss to the True Tunes podcast. She joined us from her apartment in Manhattan, and I was in my home office in East Nashville. So how are you doing? First question is just how are you doing in this whole mess? I mean, you've you've been pretty public. I mean, it even says right in your bio about your your previous health challenges and having compromised immune system and stuff. How how have you been holding up? And how has this whole bizarre season we've been in impacted you and your community there? Well, I am high risk and I take medication every day. The first week of the pandemic was very hard because I didn't know if I would have access to my pills because certain pharmacies were running out of these prescriptions. And this isn't just like, oh, I can take an herbal supplement for it. It's to suppress my immune system so that my body doesn't reject my kidney that was transplanted 15 years ago. Um, But other than that, before this pandemic, I was completely burnt out. Like I was ready to be done with music. And I was crawling my way through tours and was gonna go to Switzerland and go to Labrie to just really rest my body and my mind and be around other people who are doing the same. And then I was gonna go hang out in Lyon, France and eat, drink and be merry and then reevaluate where I wanted to move next after New York City and just really thinking about what is it that I want in life and if I'm going to keep doing music, do I need to move closer to people that I can keep making music with? And that was possibly Nashville, just because I have such an incredible music community down there. But then you think, is it just because I go there or would it be the same if I lived there? Why did you move to New York? Because that that Portland scene that you were a part of, that was that was sounds like a pretty rich community in terms of music and church and all of that. What was it that drew you to New York in the first place? Well, I first went to film school. And so I wanted to move to New York City because one, it was super diverse, which if you've ever gone to Portland, it is not. It is the opposite. I loved how small I felt. There are so many childhood movies that I watched that was set in New York City and I just fell in love with it. And like, that was my dream was to work in film in New York City, maybe be an actress or theater, who knew? And the music kind of took over and that's been the gateway to get me to a lot of places I've always wanted to go. Music allowed me to travel to multiple different countries and I got a job as a worship leader, which felt like a portal to come here and I would still be touring because as a touring artist, you can basically live anywhere you want. And I was in an international hub and so I feel like uh, I've earned my marks 
as a New Yorker here. I've, I've told my story to a lot of people who have lived here for a long time and they're like, you've experienced what most people experience in 10 years in like one year. And I'm like, yeah, I think I'm done. So even though I started music in Portland, it was mu moving faster than I even wanted to accept that it was happening in my life. Music was taking off in a way that I never even thought about because I just made a record that was going to be given away for free through church. And then it wasn't just church people. It was the people in the city of Portland who owned venues, who worked for NPR, who worked for the Oregonian or the New York Times, who wanted to interview me because they're like, where did you come from? And why do I like your music and I'm, I don't believe in Jesus? A very liberal newspaper in Portland wrote, if you can make it in Portland singing about Jesus, you can make it anywhere. I've never wanted to be in the spotlight, which is weird. I mean, I say that now, but as a kid, I wanted to be an actress. But now the thought of touring the way that I did before all of this happened, just sound, it just sounds crippling to me. I was working so hard. I was still doing side gigs because of word of mouth and people are like, oh, you can sing on this or if we fly you out here or literally I would be here one week and then gone. This is the longest I've ever been in New York City in the three and a half years I've lived here. And it's been three months. Honestly, this is the least anxious I have felt doing music ever in the nearly seven years of touring. This is the least anxious I've ever felt. One of the things I find myself discussing with the music students at Treveca, as well as artists I work with as a consultant and just about everyone else in Nashville, now that I think about it, is how challenging it is to make a living in music these days. I brought that somewhat sensitive subject up with Liz, knowing that she was now functioning without the benefit of booking or management. Life as an indie was challenging enough prior to this pandemic, but is it possible to make ends meet as an artist and songwriter these days? I've always been really good with my money, so I'm living off of my savings, but because I've worked so hard, I can do that. And I've always been good about keeping my overhead low, and I've been super blessed to be able to do that. People letting me move into their apartments, their guest bedroom, paying whatever I can afford. Now I'm in a two-bedroom, two-story, two-bath apartment in Manhattan and I pay very little. And it's become because this woman came to a show and had a connection with my music and more than likely I'll live here by myself. And so I have my music set up and I can record and sing between the back and forth walking of my neighbors upstairs because they walk around like they're um, auditioning for America's Next Top Model with the dog <laughs> um, And dogs barking and sirens. This is the most peaceful I've ever felt in music and the most peace I felt as a human in a very, very long time. And I don't, I'm like, is this, am I numb? Is it because I get to move as slow as I need to, to process things and stop and smell the roses? Like I just, I, is this just a piece that I don't need to try to understand? 
Although she had a wide variety of on-stage experiences and trained as a filmmaker, Liz didn't release her debut album until she was nearly 30 years old. I asked her what her family background had been like in regards to church and broader cultural influences. So my family's from LA. My mom, she's the baby of five children. My grandfather apparently played the guitar and would sing, and my grandmother played the piano and would sing. But it was never like, oh, this is going to be a career. My grandma was very... So one time I saw her yell at my mom when we were singing What a Wonderful World. And she started crying and she's like, why are you singing that devil's music? <laughs> and I looked at her and I was like, it yeah. shocked me because I was like, I didn't realize how conservative my grandmother was, even though my mom told me when she was like 18 or 19, she was approached by some label people and they wanted to sign her. And my grandmother said, no. I can remember there have been moments where my grandmother would say, your mama can really sing, she can really sing. And they wanted to sign a deal with her. And I, I feel like maybe there was some regret in there that she never really talked about. And so my mom was pursuing music as a jazz musician. And then my dad was in a famous 70s and 80s funk band. And they fell in love. Obviously, it didn't last because my, my I grew up in a single parent home in the middle of five kids. But my mom, after a few failed relationships, a baby on the way and four kids in tow, moved from L.A. to Portland to just start over. But I do remember her singing throughout the house. She used to sing Rise and Shine and Give God the Glory every morning to get us ready for school. There have been so many times where I've sang something and I'm like, wow, I sound just like my mom. And so raising five kids, as you can imagine, would be a heavy toll on one person. Mm -hmm. And so the music kind of just stopped. Like mm -hmm. it just wasn't in the house anymore, but I still really loved music. And I wish I could be cool and say that I listened to like Van Morrison as a kid and the Beatles and Eric Clapton and Nat King Cole and Luther Vandross, which I did listen to them, but I loved movie soundtracks. Like I loved singing along to Disney cassette tapes. And as the middle child, I would spend a lot of time by myself. And so I would go into the basement and just listen to all these movie soundtracks. I don't really remember, but I was a very introverted and shy kid. Someone that I, someone's mom, I went to school with this particular person from kindergarten to the eighth grade. And as my music career started um, expanding, she sent me a private message on Facebook that she never imagined this shy little girl that she knew to grow up and to end up singing on stage. And so it didn't, occur to me that I would ever be a musician. It was never anything I desired. So then I had health issues starting at the age of 15 until about 19. Then I was on dialysis with kidney failure and heart failure. Then I got a kidney transplant and there's a lot of stuff in between there. I felt like, well, I've tasted death. And so I want to go to school for what I want to do. And so I went to school for a film and I would be at school for like 12 hours a day. And after I graduated, I got paid internships and applied for another scholarship to go back to school to get my master's in producing. And 
When I went to visit the school, it just didn't feel right. It didn't feel like it was time to leave and I really wanted to leave Portland, but it just didn't feel like it was time to leave. And I started going to a church called Door of Hope in Portland. And I turned that scholarship down and got a job offer to work on a low budget TV show called Portlandia. <laughs> and so I worked on Portlandia for their second season, which wow. is pretty amazing. And a lot of my friends are in it. Um, and provided a lot of friends with summer jobs and kids that I mentored. And that show ended and then Josh White, the pastor of Door of Hope, asked if I wanted to sing on a church record, which I totally skipped that whole thing, how I started singing at Door of Hope. And I sang some harmonies and sang a verse or whatever, and then led a song. Well, you've mentioned that that's not a very diverse community. So how do you find yourself feeling welcomed into that uh, as a person of color, as a woman, and then feeling bold enough to say, I've got a voice, I'm gonna sing in this group of bearded hipsters. It was more of a nag. I was going to a church that was predominantly black in an older community. I can't say it's a black church because we have preconceived notions of what a black church is and it was not that. And I had been hungry to find a community of younger people. And for a year, a friend kept saying, you should try Dora Hope. Like they meet in a yoga studio. And I'm like, that is not church. A church that meets on Saturday in a yoga studio. Mm -mm, that is not of the Lord. Um, Starting to sound like your grandma. I know. And then I was like in my 20s. And then six months later, after working for a children's film camp, a group of us who were Christian, the leader, Lockie, who's one of my closest friends, he said, we could all walk to church if you guys want to, to try out this new place called Dora Hope. And I went and I sat at the top and I was like, let's see if, if these people are preaching the gospel because I'd heard so much about it. And I had just never heard the gospel preached in such an honest way where I felt like Jesus loved me. Not saying I didn't receive it at the other church that I was a part of because they lived the gospel, they did, but I needed to be around younger people. And I had never heard worship music like that but Dora Hope music was just so honest. And it felt like I was reminded that Jesus loves people. And, and there were two bands that had their own side project and they would lead worship. And I loved it. It was like 90s hipster-ish kind of music that talked about their brokenness and their desire to be connected to Jesus. And I just, every Sunday I'd go, I just feel like this tug, like Liz, just sing harmonies. I mean, I didn't try to infiltrate anything. If anything, it was a, uh, who's this chick? Where did this voice come from? Okay, you can sing on Thursday nights during the prayer time, and this will be a trial session for Sunday nights. So I was singing. I love singing with Josh. Like, he sings in the perfect key for me to harmonize. 
I love his writing so much. It's so simple and so powerful. And I just get the stories that he tells. And so they just had you start singing backing vocals and then it very quickly kind of cascaded from there, right? Yeah, I don't even think they expected that at all. Through the love of God, our Savior, free and changeless is his favor. All is well. Precious is the blood that healed us. Perfect is the grace that sealed us. Strongest hand stretched out to shield us. All must be well. Ooh. I would do an interview and post something, or hey, I have a show and post something, but I would hardly ever talk about it with my friends because I just didn't want to engage. I didn't want to hear anyone's opinion about what I should be doing with my music and how I should. And I don't want to be a diva and I don't want to be an auteur where I'm doing this on my own and I need a team. So I'm like getting hired to play these shows over and over, getting interviewed by these magazines and where did you come from and how did you do this? But the whole time there's a voice inside of my head that is like, you are not a lead singer. You are not a musician. You don't know how to write you don't know what you're doing. And not to say that the church I was a part of didn't love me. I even had someone say, was there something you expected us to do that we didn't do for you? And in my mind, I was like, just come around me, pray for me. Like, I, but I didn't, and this is the thing about growing up as a black woman in Portland, being a woman in a church is already hard enough. Being a black woman, I felt like anything I said would come off as angry. And so I just kept my mouth shut, just like I always have when it has come to feeling oppressed as a black woman. I never want to be a problem. Wow. And so I don't felt like I was neglected, but I'm like, this was the process. My introduction to music was very lonely and isolating and felt very dismissed and minimalized. And I, I felt the same tug to sing background vocals as I did to keep walking forward and doing music. And the first record, I got a manager. That did not, that was not great. (laughs) It was not a good experience for me. But again, I kept my mouth shut and I had friends say, you need to let them go. Again, I kept my mouth shut for two and a half years because I don't want to be seen as a problem. I don't want to be seen as angry or ungrateful. So I kept my mouth shut. And then I finally let them go. And then I was like, I'm done with music. I don't want to do this anymore. God, you got the wrong person. I shouldn't have said yes. Now I'm in more debt for film school because I've been doing music. It was a great run. Now, let me move on and the doors just kept getting bigger and I kept getting invited and I kept getting interviewed. And I wrote my second record and they kept nagging, we need to be released. And I'm like, fine, I'll record you, but I'm not releasing you. And I told that to the producers and John was like, "Mm, you're releasing this record. So John John Seal from Mason Jar. I had contacted them three years prior thinking, oh, if I ever made a second record, I want to work with you. And then I went silent for three years because I was like, I'm done with music. I don't want to talk about it. 
And then I moved to New York and I moved two blocks away from John. I kind of am noticing that because maybe you got into this a little bit later, you started saying, hey, can I sing backing vocals? And you were 30, 30, maybe 20. And And then two years later, 30 released my first record. So with that, I mean, there's there's some stuff you're copping to in, in terms of baggage and background and stuff, but you're more aware of it mm-hmm. because you've also got some more maturity. You've mm-hmm. got some more self-awareness that a 19-year-old just no. doesn't have. <laughs> right? And so there's, there's kind of a, um, I think, sort of a beautiful opportunity there if you survive it mm-hmm. or a or a devastating shipwreck if you don't. Which but- I always lean towards the shipwreck. Like this is an <laughs> almost famous moment. Like I have parents who are in the music industry. I heard those stories. We're going to step away from the conversation for just a few minutes. We'll be right back after this. We're back with the True Tunes podcast. Liz's debut album, There's a Light, which wasn't released until she was around 30 years old, came, seemingly out of nowhere, with a seasoned yet strangely fresh sound. The songs were mostly written by Josh White, who, as we've been hearing, was the pastor of the church she had been attending, had been a member of the band Telecast, and was the organizer of the Deeper Well Collective, a sort of media imprint that gathered like-minded artists, helped to bring their creative works to life, and then gave them away for free. There's a Light was produced by Blitz and Trapper's Eric Early and Josiah Sherman, who plays keys for Frank Ocean. The two gathered some of the Portland area's finest musicians to bring the album to life. You're gonna need that pure religion, hallelujah. Gonna need that pure religion, hallelujah. Yeah. You're gonna need that pure religion, pure religion gonna carry you through. You're gonna need that pure religion, There's a Light is everything you'd expect out of this supporting cast, but the real showstopper is, of course, Liz Weiss herself. The way she inhabits the songs, making them feel lived in and classic, even though most of them were written by White specifically for her, is most impressive. And she simply sings beautifully with her rich alto and little in the way of showmanship or theatrics. I was gaga for the record within the first half minute of the opening song, Abide. The live band feel and Early's guitar playing is a veritable tribute to Steve Cropper's work with Otis Redding. And even the mic treatment, it all felt perfect.
an absolutely irresistible soul R&B tune that lives somewhere in the realm of Aretha Franklin, Nora Jones, or Ann Peebles, is the one that broke through to the widest audience via mainstream blogs and radio highlights. The rest of theirs alike follows a similar and similarly awesome pattern. Every song is solid, and the project deserves every bit of hype that it earned. But because I want to touch on so much of her stuff here today, I'm going to move on to her 2018 indie release, Save Me. Produced by John Seal of Mason Jar Music in New York City, Save Me is a bit less intentionally retro sounding than theirs alike, but still retains a classic R&B vibe. Seal and his mason jar partner Jeremy McDonald are probably best known lately for their production work for Beyonce, Fleet Foxes, and Josh Girls. They served Liz well on Save Me, presenting the songs clearly and with enough soul gospel essence to keep it true to her DNA, but just framed in a slightly sleeker way. The album's second track, Baby Hold On, owns a killer hook, some great horn riffs, and an encouraging lyric. It's actually not far from Leon Bridges' sound but much more evangelistic. If you lose your way I will be your guide And if you can't stand no more I will always be by your side To Dance With Death is a slow burner that takes on a whole new resonance once you know the story of Vice's health struggles. Her personification of death is sensual, smoky, and disturbing in all the right ways. My grace is so sufficient, your pain will turn to hope. You'll resurrect the walking dead with songs of miracles. Oh, my life is full of pain. My body broken down, but my faith in you Fancy Feet, which rides on the groove of grooves, is just so good. It's laid back and saucy, almost like a slow jam funk song. The lyric contains echoes of Romans 15, where Paul says, how lovely are the feet of those who bring good news. Catch me walking round in bars on dirty floors, on stage I'm singing praises to my Again, the whole album is worth checking out. There's not a clunker on the set. 
Considering this was among her first attempts as a songwriter, the results are truly impressive. You've already heard us talk about See the Day, a song that will be a strong contender for my top 10 list this year. There were also two other singles that Liz released over the past year. It Was Good sees her continue to grow as a writer with an expansive R&B sound that examines the creation narrative as it seeks meaning in today's morass of fear and doubt. God himself came down to earth Valleys tried and mountains rose Waters filled the seven seas And it was good Oh, it was good And it was good It was good Refugee King came out at Christmas time as a sobering reminder of the immigration status of our Savior, and it saw Vice staking out a welcome theological position in the cultural conversation that could cost her some conservative evangelical fans, but caused me to lean deep into the good news of the gospel of grace as it sits on offer from a king who came as an outsider, an immigrant. No stars in the sky but the Spirit of From heaven to hide No place for his parents No country or tribe And they ran and they ran and they ran And then there are the guest spots. So many artists have tapped Liz as a collaborator that there's no way we could cover all of them here. I have, however, compiled a fairly lengthy playlist that's linked in the show notes for this episode. Most of her collaborations are worship songs. One of the best is an independent artist and worship leader named Paul Zak. Their song, Our God is the Friend of Silence, stopped me in my tracks when it came out in 2018. Cease from striving and hear his voice within. Our God is the friend of silence. Also from 2018 was an incredible track from rapper Propaganda that included Liz on vocals and a guest rap from Tobe Ngewe. Fallen is a vibey, ambient, slow jam that artfully contemplates the challenges the black community and individuals have been facing for all too long. They say that we're fallen. They say that we're fallen. And tell me why you follow. If we're fallen. Josh Garrels, John Mark McMillan, Tunde Bayewu, Ghost Ship, Alert 312, Sandra McCracken. There are so many Liz Vice appearances out there. She even sang backing vocals on the awesome track Shine On by one of my favorite bands, Blitz and Trapper. We're going to invite our friend Liz Vice out to come sing with us. 
Yeah, it's totally badass. You guys are gonna have to dig this. Thank you. One, two, one, two, three, four. Ain't no thing like a love that shines. There ain't no time like a tie that binds. There ain't no way like the way to bind. We'll wrap this up with one of the tracks from the Porter's Gate Projects. The first installment, which was called Work Songs, featured this track, We Labor Unto Glory. The idea they explore is that we, as disciples, have work to do. This journey of faith is not only, or maybe not even primarily, about what we believe or think, but is definitely about the kingdom work we do while we wait for Christ's return. We Labor Unto Glory, which features Liz on lead vocals, is one of my favorites of the set, but it really is a fantastic album worthy of a good, close listen. My God, my God, where I go, glory, where I reap and where I sow, glory, and my hands they grip the thorns, It's somewhat stunning to hear someone like Liz Weiss share this level of frustration and pain associated with sharing her musical gift and skill. But I suppose there is something comforting in there for all of us doubters as well, isn't there? At least we're in good company. The idea that she may have simply hung it all up and that we would be deprived of her mind, her heart, and her voice is so heartbreaking, especially in light of the new single, See the Day. I asked her about how that song came together and how it fits into her sense of calling and mission as an artist and leader. As you are kind of sitting now, I want to talk about this latest song. Can you tell me about the impetus and how this new song came together? I mean, there's so many things. When you first spoke about me seeing that I had something to offer to this music thing, and I was like, first I have to believe I have something to offer, which when if you are raised to see people that look like you always in the hood, always oppressed, always in the news about some crime, you're either a criminal or you're a victim. Why would I ever think I have anything to offer? And then you go to me writing this song. I don't know what it was, but something has shifted in me where I'm so tired of people saying, well, it'll justice will take place when Jesus comes back, or we can enjoy that thing when we're in heaven, or we can truly rest when we're in heaven. And I'm like, I'm so exhausted. I would rather die now and get that rest than wait until I'm 80 years old, because that sounds awful. I have to wait and it doesn't even, it's not even 
the gospel, Jesus healing people, Jesus engaging with people, like in the kingdom of heaven, there is no sickness and pain. And anyone that Jesus touched was healed. He was showing that the kingdom is now and greater things than these you will do in my name. I still don't know what that means, <laughs> but from the stage, I have seen people black and white, yellow and brown, gay and straight, atheists and prescribing to some faith in one space for an hour to an hour and a half with their arms wrapped around each other, singing lyrics that they attach their own story to. That is heaven on earth. I have had outer body experiences performing in venues where people would never step foot in church than I've ever had in church, ever. And that's when I feel like the Lord is saying, these are my people too. I wanna see the day when we stand tall And the heavy hand of oppression's finally gone Another thought about seeing heaven now and justice and love, this is nothing new to me, right? Like I've known about this since I was a child. Like my, I have white aunts and uncles. Like my, my aunt, who's my mom's oldest sister, had to get permission from the church to marry my white uncle. And my grandmother's brother, my uncle Willie, would get yells and threats because his wife Rosemary passed as a white woman. And so they would say, what are you doing with that Negro or whatever they would say to her. So these stories aren't new. It is generational trauma. It is generational education that your skin color is your portion and your oppression for the rest of your life. So the two things because I've had so many people text me this week and there's one person that I don't know, maybe it's because he's a gay man who his grandfather died and chose not to have any kind of relationship with him and would rather die without seeing his grandson for the last time than to just love his grandson. Um, that I felt so safe to tell him this. And he asked me, and I'll just read it because it's just easier. He wrote, as someone who's worked in the white evangelical church, what is one thing you wish you could tell the white evangelical church now? And this is what I replied, to talk to each other and stop seeking the comfort of black friends for their guilt. If it feels gross to acknowledge this racism, imagine centuries of daily encounters and reminders that you'll never be safe. That is my answer. Talk to other white people. Bring it up. Because to me, when a white person yeah. is sinking, seeking my thoughts, I feel like I'm taking the noose off of my neck and saying, oh my gosh, I'm so sorry you have to see me hanging. That's what it feels like. And my other thought is my oppression is your oppression. Because if people only took what they needed, then everyone would have something. If people loved in the same way that they want to be loved, then man, we probably wouldn't have anxiety or 
depression, burnout, because we wouldn't ever say, you can rest when you die. We can go back to that story of Elijah after he did this incredible miracle of starting a fire on wet wood to show that the one true God is Yahweh. And then the next day he's like, ah, oh, Jezebel's gonna kill me. All the prophets are dead. I can't do this, which I am such an Elijah. I am such a Jonah. I am such a Moses where I just want to run. I literally was after my last tour in April, I was going to run to the mountains in Switzerland and cut myself off from anything connected to music. I was gonna run to the mountains and just be around other people and not tell them I'm a musician and yeah, just rest and chill and eat three meals a day and look at snow peaked, real mountains. And then in that story where Elijah runs into the cave, God isn't like you, idiot. You're so weak. I just, you just did a miracle with me not too long ago. He just fed him. And then after a few days of sleep and food, God says, now it's time to go and do more work. And you can find your predecessor, Elisha. And then Elijah was taken up in a chariot. And I have prayed for chariots many a times. <laughs> if I can love people like that, like the way the Lord showed compassion on Elijah from being exhausted, even though God was with him, it just gives me a different perspective on how to see people. Even yesterday, moving into this apartment, it's very wealthy neighborhood. And this white woman was very rude to me. And she was like, you need to move your moving van. She literally passed a truck that said, jumbo moving truck behind me. Tons of cars have already passed my van because there's space. I made sure there was space. And She's like, you need to move. This is a tight turn for me. I need to get into my parking lot. The parking lot is like a block away. So I'm just like, I know what you're doing, but I'm not going to get worked up. She's like, I said, you can go around the van. Like every other car has gone around the van that literally was just in front of you. And she's like, well, close the door. And I said, I'm not closing the door until you ask politely. And then maybe I did say some swear words. Um, and then I closed the door and she got into her parking spot, just like I knew she would. But behind her is a white guy in a really nice Jeep who's dressed to the nines and he's yelling at her, go around, there's plenty of space. She must hate people, go around, oh, yeah. go around. Like he's yelling at her and so annoyed because he's like, I live here. Everyone does this, just go around. It's New York, there's no space. And you just move, like everyone just knows. And so I'm moving these heavy boxes, super humid into this beautiful apartment. And the front desk guy is helping me load up these, these carts, which is so kind and like really sped up the moving process. And she asked the front guy as she sees me walking in, oh, she's moving into here. And I said, welcome to my 40 acres and a mule. Oh. Um, <laughs> and, and then I just went and just wanted to cry in the back of the van. Mm. But I was like, you know what? I'm not gonna waste my tears. 
Tell me about the Porter's Gate community and how that came together and and your role in that. And So I, going Dora Hope, Josh Garrels went to Dora Hope for a while and Isaac was looking to create more diverse spaces. Isaac Wardell, he's a great producer. So Porter's Gate is actually one of the first musical communities that I've ever been invited into. And Isaac is very good about like talking about rest and he's just a good conversationalist when it comes to the church body. He is friends with Josh Garrels, like he works uh, with Josh Garrels for most of his records. And Josh Garrels said, you know, Liz Vice lives in New York City. And Isaac reached out to me and I participated in the Porter's Gate project. Isaac flew me down to Virginia to write to see if I had anything in there. I'm sure he did more than I believed for myself. And just been working with Isaac and working with Paul Zock and Orlando Palmer. Paul Zock is another incredible writer and musician who makes really simple songs that are very powerful as well and asked me to sing with him. And so that project is, uh, if I understand it correctly, it's different worship leaders from different churches mm-hmm. that are kind of come together to write songs together and record them in this kind of simple way. But, And the first project had a theme of songs about work, mm-hmm. but the work of the gospel. And then there's another project and so that each one will have a different theme, but it's designed to kind of have an ecumenical or multi different theological perspectives on each project by having different people from different churches involved? It's a really good space of curiosity versus judgment. It's about a conversation and inviting people to the table where it's not about their rightness, but it's about, let's talk about this. That's interesting. Tell me more about that. I thrive in those spaces. Although sometimes I would like things to be very black and white, I am more of a in the middle type person where I can hear arguments from both sides. Um, And I think that we are at where we're at politically and religiously because people are so focused on their rightness over the bigger picture and they're willing to sacrifice people for the sake of their rightness. And my team versus yours, which totally goes against the gospel. And you think about Jesus a poor boy from the sticks who was called a bastard because they knew Joseph wasn't his dad. Oh, you think you're God, right? That's what I'm sure they asked him then. It's really hard for me to see where God is in all of this, but I'm still holding on to that mustard seed. And I wonder if this is how the disciples felt after they watched Jesus die on the cross. And so many times during this pandemic, sitting at this window in absolute silence, 
thinking, I hope that my idea of salvation is so much smaller than Jesus's plan for salvation. But Abel's blood is crying out. Like, it's, I can't even pray for this pandemic to end. And that sounds awful, but there's something inside of me that's like, just end it all. It's too much. It's too much sadness. It's too much fighting and bickering and no one's listening to each other. And I'll see someone post something and then someone will post something else that has nothing to do with that. And it's just like, just let the person mourn and let it just be about that and keep your opinions to yourself. But, uh. May the words of my hands bring you joy. May the words of my hands bring you joy. May the words of my hands bring you joy. May the words of my hands bring you joy. So we sing, Hallelujah, Hallelujah, Father, let your beginning you were talking about after the season of the two records touring that right up until the beginning of when this pandemic hit you were feeling burned out you were wanting to just get away go to Labrie just get out of music and go into film or do what you were starting to do in the first place but there was a but happening like this this season has given you a break or a breather it sounds like what are you feeling uh, you've got one song that you just put out. Is that leading to more? Or do you feel like this break has given you sort of any kind of rejuvenation as a songwriter and an artist? And is music back on the table or are you still looking for the off ramp? I don't know if it's ever going to end. You're doomed to be a <laughs> artist because God called you to it. So, And even that, I question that, like, because I've been challenged so much by people in the church of job security. How are you going to pay for this? How are you going to pay for that? And then I go back and I look through my bank account and I'm like, I don't know how I have this much money in my account. Like it just doesn't make sense to me because I spend so much money touring. And in December, I got the boot from my booking agency. I was gutted, but I also felt released. Like, ooh, I'm getting closer to being done with this. And then everything shut down. And I'm like, okay, music is over. And I can pack up my stuff in Brooklyn and I can leave and go back to Portland. I haven't worked in a non-art job for 14 years, but I can figure it out. And I've been doing music nonstop every day, <laughs> every week since this. I even bought a new microphone so that for the church services, it's recorded better. And then people are like, hey, you have your own system at home. Can I send you this song and I'll pay you? Can you sing, sing on these four songs and I'll pay you? I just had someone that I literally haven't worked with in six years reach out to me and say, hey, can you sing this demo for me? I am now becoming so proficient at recording myself and Frankensteining my vocals 
in a way that seems like one great take. And I'm like, well, I'm not going to think about this being a career for the rest of my life. I'm just going to think about what I need to get done today. Do I have songs for a third EP, a third record? Yes. It's just an EP. And then I, and then I was like, and then I'm done. But these songs have to be born. Like they're really great songs. Like I did the, this land is your land. Uh, revised that with a couple of people and it's so just somber and it tells the history of where we are today to what happened what is it we start with the current immigration situation this land is your land this land is my land from california to the texas border through the war's mountains with the migrant caravans this land is made for you and me then you go to slavery. This land is your land. This land is my land. From the field of cotton to, no, to the, from the piers of Charleston to the fields of cotton, from the crowded prisons to the streets of Ferguson, this land is made mm, for you. Wow. This land is your land. This land is my land. From the Jamestown landing to the Lakota Badlands from the trail of tears to the reservations, this land was made for you and me. That is the history of America. All about take and bloodshed. I'm like, okay, I have to record that song. And then I have promised land, pray to the Lord to make me strong. He led me straight with the Northern star. I crossed over and now I'm free. My God, my God, hold steady on me. I'll press on until I make it to the promised lands. I have been up the mountain and back down again. Oh, my eyes have seen the glory and I heard God's plan. I'll press on until I make it to the promised land. I'm like, okay, I have to record that one. I mean, there's like, okay, this is just enough for an EP. I don't need like a big thing. I can record these songs. It's fine. I don't have to do anything after it. The beauty of not having booking agents, not having management, not having record labels, not having physical product has to go out to stores and then you got to go out and tour to support that is that there's no reason to not just do whatever you want mm -hmm. to do. Mm -hmm. Right. So the freedom is go ahead and put those three songs or five songs, or if you get 10, make an album. And so the, the last thing I wanted to ask you was just um, a, a large number of the people that I'm talking to are are those college students, young people that are just kind of getting off on this journey. What kind of things do you have to say um, when it comes to young folks or even people that are 30 or 40? What sort of uh, advice, you might not want to call it encouragement or rebuke or what What do you, what words do you have to offer? Because it's, it's not often that we get to hear from, from someone with your experience. So I just would love to. Um, surround yourself with people who want to see you do well. That is one thing that I've learned. And I think one thing that has kept me moving forward in this industry, like my vinyl is someone who is a fan of my music. And so he helped me so much. It was very expensive, but he's still like, and it took a year and a half to finally get them, but he's still, I feel like he went above and beyond to make sure that it was going to be right. And I was willing to wait 
so that it would, because I just trusted him because I felt like he wanted me to succeed and he wasn't just a businessman. Um, as well as the woman who mastered my vinyl, I hire her to master my music now. I just think she's awesome and I trust her ear. And so I've slowly been building a team of people because I feel safe with them and I do believe they want to see me do well. And not just like become super famous, but they want to see me do well. Same with my landlord. This place is incredible. Um, the other thing is you don't have to force it if it's meant to be, which is really scary, but there is risk involved. And just because it's meant to be doesn't mean it'll be pain-free. Whoo, Lord. I literally broke a bone on tour. I've had uh, emergency plane landings. I've gotten into a car crash. A bandmate's mom passed away. And this all happened in the first four months of touring. The third thing would be, it's okay to rest and step back. And tomorrow is never promised. So... I don't know what that means for myself. Maybe it's not the healthiest, but because I have, I don't know how long I have on this earth. I've always thought I'd rather go out with a bang and ask, ask for help. Let people help you. I'm not always good with letting people help me, but let people help you, but not everyone. So you got to be selective. And I'm still learning that. And I have had to learn that the hard way. What do you do to keep yourself excited about music or, and keep your, your songs coming? Are you? I work out in the mornings. I paint. I used to paint a lot when I was on dialysis and I've been painting and my landlord has art supplies here. Other people have invited me to make music with them. And so I sp feel inspired to like, so I've been working on a short script and my mind started getting really overwhelmed and clogged and I was just like, let me go back to this song that my friend sent me lyrics to and let me just see what I can do. And then I recorded half of the song into the chorus and then I went for a long walk and then I was just done writing for the day and I let myself be okay with that. And then the next day I just wrote for hours on my script. I wrote for 20 minutes and then I took a 20 minute break. And then I wrote for 20 minutes and took a 20 minute break. And all of the things that I went through in the trials and honestly, I feel like in the beginning that that silence that I kind of felt was probably good for me to have faith instead of leaning on other people. like. If I am saying that I want to be led by the spirit, I had to be led by that spirit. And to this day, I'm still a fan of Josh. And if I moved back to Portland, I would go back to Door of Hope. I am a huge fan. And I thank God every day that I was lucky enough to be a part of that community for seven years. How do I fail beneath that case? How do I stand when I'm ricochet? I missing the mark. You keep offering mercy. I keep falling apart. You keep drawing me back to see. I want to thank Liz for taking time with us today and for pushing through some very frustrating technological issues so that we could even have had this conversation. I hope you've gotten as much out of it as I have.
As I climb up on my soapbox this time, I don't have much to add. I'm really glad that Liz hasn't given up on music just yet, but I'm also glad that she's in touch with her own emotional and spiritual health enough to know that if that time comes and that's what she needs to do, she will. We need voices like Liz. Yes, because she is a woman of color writing songs and leading worship and doing it in bars and clubs and churches. Yes to all of that, but not primarily because of all of that. We need her because she is amazing. She is a gift to us. Until we get to the point where the church is united across color and cultural barriers, we need ambassadors like Liz to do things she should not have to do. But as a white Christian, let me say that the burden is on me not her, to have these difficult conversations, to allow the Holy Spirit to shine a light into the darkened corners of my heart and the heart of our communities, and then to invite that same spirit to clean house. I know that someday Jesus himself will come back and clean house in a big way. I do believe he will set things right, and I sure don't want to be on the bad side of that house cleaning. But. Like Liz, I'm absolutely not satisfied to wait when I can see his commands so clearly to begin bringing his kingdom to earth now as it is in heaven, to act justly, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with God now. One of the most beautiful gifts music offers is the chance to hear the stories of another person or people and to feel them emotionally. I have loved singing along with Liz Vice as she brings the songs of the kingdom closer to earth. She's a role model for me, and I hope for all of us, as we proceed through these difficult days. I challenge all of us to really listen to the voices as they sing, as they weep, as they moan. And if there are noises distracting you from either the pain that is being articulated, or the work that God is calling you to do in your own heart or in your own community, then for heaven's sake, tune those noises out and turn up the songs of the kingdom. Okay. I'm climbing off my soapbox now. That's going to do it for this episode of the podcast. If this is your first time with us, welcome. I sure hope you listen to our previous episodes and subscribe wherever you follow podcasts. It also makes a big difference for us if you take a minute and sign up for the email list at truetunes.com and like our page at Facebook. And make sure to find the Gallery Stage Mixtape on Spotify and follow that as well. You can find all of that at truetunes.com. Good reviews and ratings make a big difference. And the biggest thing is, as always, tell your friends about the show. I want to thank Liz Weiss for giving us so much of her time and for not giving up on music just yet. Find her online at lizvice.com and make sure to follow her on all the webs and socials too. And as always, a huge thanks to Bruce A. Brown for cutting this show together so well. This one was especially challenging, but Bruce makes it sound so easy. As always, you can find all of the songs listed and links to where you can purchase the music and support these artists on the show notes page for this episode at truetunes.com. Everything in the True Tunes podcast is protected by U.S. copyright law and is the intellectual property of Gyroscope Productions, with the exception of songs or clips that are from previously copywritten materials. Everything on this episode is used by permission or under fair use provisions. This program is intended for the private use of our listening audience. Gyroscope Productions can be reached at truetunesmusic at gmail.com or P.O. Box 60401, Nashville, Tennessee, 37206. And with that, my brothers and sisters, I will bid you adieu. 
May a peace you can't understand settle upon your hearts and minds in these troubling days. And may that peace draw you deeper and deeper into the source of all love and mercy and grace. And as the beat of that peace wells up inside you, may you find a way to sing along in such a way that others can't resist joining in your song, our song. And may we all shine on and never let the darkness overcome us. (laughs) 